Well, good morning. I'll add my voice to the chorus of those saying Happy New Year. Uh, I've said before um, that I feel like God designed time just so that we could have new start. You know, every day is a new day, and in Lamentations it says His loving kindness is new every day. Great is His faithfulness, and, and every day is a new start, and every week and every month and every year it's a new start, and, and I appreciate that about God. And I think it's important that we think in those terms because otherwise I think the past could hold us back. I want to mention something before I jump into my talk this morning. Uh, in your programs, you got an insert, and it gives you some opportunities to get involved. I hope uh, this year that you'll look for ways to partner more with us, and that gives you some of the options that are coming up. And so before you leave, I encourage you to take a few minutes, look that over, especially if the message gets boring, you can read that little slip of paper, check some things you're interested in, and then drop it in the little baskets out in the, the uh, hallway there. Uh, several years ago, my wife and I went on a sabbatical, and we spent a little time in Scotland. We rented a, a small house that was uh, near some water, and there were mountains, and it was just absolutely beautiful, very restful place. Uh, one day while we were there, though, there was a knock at the door, and I opened it up, and there was an elderly Englishman standing there, and he said, I, I was just wondering whether or not uh, you could help me with our internet. Uh, he knew that the place we were staying at was owned by the same people that owned the place where he was staying and ours was working, and so I said, sure. And so I went next door and I worked with it a little bit and was able to get his internet going. And he turned on the TV and the news started to play and I, he and I began to talk, we had a little conversation. Well, all of a sudden a story came across the news network there about a minister or a priest who had been caught embezzling money from the church and how he'd stolen so much money and whatever. Well, suddenly this guy I was talking with began to launch into a speech. It was a speech about how all ministers and all priests are crooks. <laughs> all they want to do is steal your money. All, you know, they, every single one of them. And I, I kind of interjected just a little. I've met a couple good ones. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, I haven't. I didn't tell him what I did for a living. It, although it would have been priceless, I just would have loved to see his expression on his face. I go, because he was the kind of guy that, well, I just suspected that his wife all the time was sitting there in other conversations saying, please don't, don't stop, don't say it. You know, he was that kind of guy. But I appreciated what he had to say, to be honest with you. I appreciated it. Uh, he, he said some things that I knew a lot of people think. Concerning the church, concerning ministers, uh, a lot of people don't have a very positive view of the church, and I think it's important that we, we understand that. Now, I think I have some idea what a lot of people think of when they think of church overall. I think for a lot of people, they think church is just irrelevant. I think most people aren't negative or positive. They just don't see that it applies to their life. Like, I don't know, I have other things to do, and... And so I think that's the perspective many have, but I think there are other people that have stopped going to church because they were hurt so much. Perhaps they attended one of those churches that lays on the guilt instead of releases the guilt, like this last song we just heard. We've been set free by Christ. And some churches don't emphasize that, I suppose. Uh, I think the church overall is not loved well. 
And historically, we've certainly made mistakes, and of course, the church or some are guilty of hiding certain things that they've been doing, and I can understand why a lot of people maybe would say, it's just not for me, or church is not a good thing. But I'm convinced it is. In fact, I'm convinced that the church is actually the hope of the world. I'll explain why in just a minute. I also think it's what Jesus has been occupying his time with for the last 2,000 years. As broken as the church is, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he's called the head of the church and that's what he's been doing. You say, what's Jesus been doing for 2,000 years? He's been building his church. And he does it through imperfect people and through mistakes, but it's where he is, and it's what I think he's doing. This week, we're beginning this new series we're titling Engage. It's a series about kind of the church in general, but more specifically about this one. What we're about, why we do things the way we do, and what difference it could make in our lives. I really want to emphasize that. It really could make a difference in our lives that we really engage in what God wants to do in and through this body of believers. Today I wanna to focus on our vision statement. And I wanna explain what we mean by what we say in it. And this is our vision statement as a church. We wanna be an inviting church that leads people into a growing relationship with God and others. We wanna be an inviting church that leads people into a growing relationship with God and others. I'm gonna flesh out what all of that means here today, but I do wanna mention that when people think of vision statements, um, you maybe have come from a company that has a vision statement and then it also has a mission statement. And I think most employees of any company or even the church here, most cannot separate the two, like what's a mission versus what's a vision? You just get confused between the two. Well, we've decided to forget the mission statement. This is just our statement. It's our vision statement. This is what we're about. Now, for those of you that are curious about the difference between a mission statement and a vision statement, the mission statement is supposed to be what you're doing, what you're about. And in the case of a church, for example, all churches should be on the same mission. The difference between a vision statement is what sets you apart. You might have all kinds of different churches, but they're different in terms of what they value, where they're putting their efforts. And so to me, it's this vision statement. Jesus gave us our mission, but our vision statement is something that sets us apart, that explains why we do things a little bit differently. And I wanna focus on the three aspects of this thing. First of all, I wanna talk about this inviting church. And when we talk about inviting, we wanna talk about inviting people to Jesus, and inviting people here to come, to attend, or whatever. Our vision statement really hasn't changed since day one. I moved here in 85 with my roommate, Scott Rupley from Columbus, Ohio, and then six months later, also in 85, two girls joined us from the church that we all attended in Columbus, Ohio. We all moved here to start the church here in Morgantown, near the campus of WVU. Now, the reason we came here as opposed to some other place is that three years earlier in 1982, we had taken our spring break at Ohio State and used it to come here and share the gospel with college students on the campus at West Virginia University. They were not on break, but we were, so we, we used our break to come here and share Jesus with students. And the response 
was unbelievable. 25 people indicated or put their faith in Jesus Christ while we were here in less than a week. I, I just had never seen such a response. Every pair that went out, we paired up. Every pair that went out led someone to faith in Jesus Christ. I think every person did. The response was so overwhelming that I decided if there were ever an opportunity to be part of a church plant in Morgantown, I was going to be on the team that did it. And that opportunity came three years later. And so we moved to Morgantown here to start the church. All four of us got regular jobs. And then in the evenings and on the weekends, we met college students and shared the gospel. We started Bible studies and we started a Sunday service, all of it in our home. That's how things kind of started here, rather humbly. Now, the reason we started on the campus was that it was easier to do than having a full-fledged children's program or something. Once you have kids, then suddenly you, you, you gotta deal with that. And so we thought, let's just focus on the college students. But eventually we would branch out into the community. That was the plan. And for three years, that's what we were, just college students. But then some families found us. To this day, I don't know how, but at this time we were actually meeting in the freshman dorms, Brook Tower, Gene Benson Lounge. Three families walked in with kids. And they stayed. And suddenly we thought, oh yeah, we were supposed to branch out in the community. We, we didn't take any steps to do it up to that point, but suddenly we realized, oh yeah, that's, that's what we were going to do. And we felt like God brought those families. And then in December of 89, we actually incorporated as a church. And we've been growing ever since. But why did we come? You'd say, well, you just said it's to start a church. Not really. There was a reason behind the reason main reason that we came here to Morgantown was because we're convinced that people need a relationship with Jesus Christ if they're ever going to spend an eternity with God in heaven. We believe that Jesus was correct when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The people need to know that they need to put their trust in Jesus Christ if they're to receive eternal life. Now, the New Testament talks a lot about this. I mean, Paul made the point, how will anyone hear if, if someone doesn't tell them? And how will anyone go and tell them if they're not sent? And this is exactly why we came, to share Jesus Christ with people. And the vehicle that we were going to use to do it was this thing called a church. Now, this has always been our desire because we have the words of eternal life. And one of the few occasions in the New Testament where we read that crowds left Jesus, there's a, one situation in John chapter six that's recorded where it looked pretty extreme. It looks like just about everybody left Jesus because he said some things that were really hard for the people to hear. When I've read this, what I'm going to read here in a minute, every time I read it, I think of what would happen if some Sunday as I was speaking, everybody decided to leave. It's kind of, you know, it'd be like a, you, you begin to question whether or not your ministry <laughs> was effective or not, you know. That's kind of what happened to Jesus. I don't know if everyone left, but just about everybody left. And we pick up the story in John 6. We're going to begin in verse 66. Well, we read, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Therefore, Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, who will we go to? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe 
and know that you are the Holy One of God. I love these words because it explains, you know, they're saying the reason we can't leave you is because only through you is there eternal life. There's, there's not an answer through anyone else. You alone have the answer to the most significant question that anyone can ever ask. How does someone get right with God? Where else would I go? Because of who you are, I want to be associated with you. Now, this is why we do what we do as a church, to reach people with the message of Christ, because he alone is the secret to eternal life. And so we want to be an inviting church that leads people in a growing relationship with God. We want to invite people to Jesus, and we want to invite people to come here. Now, this phrase, inviting church, or the word inviting, we're using in two different ways in this vision statement. We're using it as a noun, and we're using it as an adjective. Sorry for the English lesson. But inviting could be either one. So we want to be an inviting church. It's a, I'm sorry, it's a verb, not a noun. It's a verb. I don't know my English. It's a verb to invite. And so when you invited people to the Christmas Eve services, you were an inviting church. You know, almost 8,000 people came to the five Christmas Eve service, almost 8,000. It was over 7,800. Why did they come? Well, because you we're an inviting church. You invited people. I don't know all those people. You invited people, and so that's part of what this is to be an inviting church. But it's also a word that should be an adjective. In other words, we want to be the kind of church that if people come, they find it inviting, or, or a welcoming church is how we sometimes word it, so that anybody could walk through our doors, regardless of where they are, on their spiritual journey, and they feel at home, they feel welcome. And time and time again, I hear that's how people feel. Now, we try to do things specifically to help that, like give you hot chocolate and cocoa, and then we put you a place for you to put it. I mean, those cup holders are, were purposeful. We discussed it for some time and decided, let's be good hosts. Let's give you a place to put your coffee. You know, some of the music we play, some of the things we do, it's so that we can be an inviting church so someone who's unchurched might hear a song that they're familiar with and feel at home. And so we want to be a church that invites, but we also want to be an inviting church. It's because I think this is what we're called to do as believers in Christ. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.20, he said, therefore we're ambassadors for Christ. Certain then God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If you know Jesus Christ, you're an ambassador for him. And God, the Father, is working through us to plead on Christ's behalf, and this is our message, get reconciled to God, get right with God. That's what we're about. We're ambassadors speaking a message that Jesus is the answer, get reconciled, get right with God through faith in him. That's what we should all be about. But there's more to the mission statement. We're an inviting church that leads people into a growing relationship with God and others. The other two things are growing relationship with God and then a growing relationship with others. The key word is the word relationship. This is what we're about as a church, and it's one of those things that sets us apart. Every church is about something. And you oftentimes know what it's about the moment you walk in. For example, some churches are about rules. It's all about the rules. It's all about conformity. 
Some of you came from churches like that. It's a little bit oppressive. Everyone's the same though. You know, you gotta listen to the same things, watch the same things, dress the same way. I attended a church once where facial hair wasn't allowed. I had a mustache at the time. I felt like a real sinner. Like I better shave that baby off. I was doomed. It's about rules, you know. Some churches, it's just about dress and, and who you know. There are churches where you go just to network and it's about looking good and there's nothing to do with what really matters. What are we about? Well, we're about relationships. Some churches are just about Bible knowledge. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood here about this one. I think Bible knowledge is a good thing. I, I love the Bible. I came to faith in Christ, I believe, 54 years ago. And I've been reading my Bible almost, I mean, as, as long as I was able, as soon as I could read well, began to read my Bible almost every day since then. I mean, or more days than not, I've read my Bible for the last 54 years. I, I think there are treasures there. You re I read it, I reread it, I find things I never saw that before, I never saw, it's a wonderful, wonderful book and I encourage you to get in the Bible and everything else but it's, it is not the most important thing. I think relationships are, starting with your relationship with God. I base this on Matthew 22, 37 to 39 and it's one of our key verses, references as a church where Jesus was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? And in Jesus' day, they debated this often. There are 613 Old Testament laws that were given to Moses for the people, 613 of them. Sometimes the laws conflicted with each other, and so the question was, which is more important when that happens? That's really what the question was. For example, even in our culture, we recognize that some laws are more important. There's a speed limit law. It says 70, you're supposed, that's supposed to be the limit. That's not the starting point. We all understand that. Uh, most of us kind of ignore the law to some degree, but it says 70 miles an hour. But even in our culture, if you're about to have a baby, that speed limit's irrelevant. Even police officers, if they pull you over and see this is the situation, they'll put on their sirens and you'll be going 90. Well, they're breaking the law. No, no, life is more important at that point. Now, the burger, you're going to get it wherever, is not so important to speed. But sometimes you realize that there are, there are conflicts. Jesus dealt with this a lot. You know, he would heal on the Sabbath day, and they'd say, well, wait a minute, the Sabbath is more important. Jesus said, no, loving others is more important. That's the most important thing. And so they had these debates all the time. Is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? Because it looked like he was working versus the Sabbath and yet doing good and how do you sort it out? So which is the greatest commandment? Jesus answered it here in verse 37 of Matthew 22. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God is what matters. My point is if, if we're doing what we should be doing as a church, love will be the most important thing. Relationships are the most important thing. If we succeed there, we succeed. If as a church I can help you love God, 
that we could be about pointing you to God and you grow in your relationship with God, I'd say, yeah, we're succeeding. If you learn to love him more with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we're doing what we should be doing. I don't care about a lot of the other things. It's what we're about. It's why we keep emphasizing that. I want us to understand this as well, though. I don't believe that you'll experience the love of God unless you're part of God's people, at least as fully as you could. I think we do experience the love of God when we're alone or if you're in the woods walking or whatever. You know about the love of God and you do experience it. But I think God shows up a little bit differently when his people come together and I don't think you'll experience it if you're not with his people. And people tell me this many times that when, they, when we come together, something happens. Almost every week, somebody tells me, I don't know why, but I sit down, the service is starting, music starts, and I start crying. It's like, I'm not like that. I don't know what's happening, but something's happening in their heart, and they're experiencing the love of God, and I just think God comes to us in a, a special way when we're together. And I base this on Ephesians 3, 17 to 19, where Paul said, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts, plural, through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, it's a reference to all the other believers, it's not dead people here, that you may be able to comprehend or understand with all the other believers what is the length and width, height, and depth of God's love, and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's saying within the context of, of being together here, all of us, that Christ is at home within our hearts, we experience his love, but then we experience it with other people. And it's like, it's like God shows up, I think, in just a different way. Now, sometimes what God does is actually uses other people to show the love. And so many of us have experienced that, where you, you, you experience God's love through someone else, and then you understood God's love. I'm just saying that if you want to experience his love, God loves with his people, through his people. He's among his people. He's gathered with his people. And if we want to experience the greater depth of his love, it's not done in a vacuum over here someplace when you're all alone. It's done within the context of his people. So we encourage people to focus on their relationship with God. And again, I think this is the key thing. Some of you may remember that in the book of Revelation, Jesus had this against the church of Ephesus. He said, you forgot your first love. What was noteworthy about the church of Ephesus is they were incredibly zealous and they were accomplishing unbelievable things. The church of Ephesus was what you'd call on fire. And yet Jesus said, yeah, but this thing over here, you forgot your first love. He said, you better get back to that or you'll lose everything. Because it's all supposed to flow from that relationship with our Creator. So we want to be an inviting church. And as people are invited, we want to lead them into a growing relationship with their Creator. And to experience His love in deeper ways. But the second part of this is a growing relationship with other people. And again, Jesus said that the greatest command was to love the Lord your God. And then He said, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. A lot of commentators believe that, that the second is like it means the second is the same as the first. You love God, you love other people. 
You know, John put it this way, how on earth could you say you even love God if, that you can't see if you don't love the people you do see? Love really matters. When it comes to loving other people, Paul said it was like the most important thing, didn't he? Go read the love chapter. He said you could be really, really gifted and you can know all mysteries about everything, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. He ends by saying, now abides faith, hope, and love, which faith is a big deal, and hope is a big deal, and love, he says, the greatest is love. That's the one. If you don't have that, you don't have it, and that's what we're thinking as a church. The church is not known for being loving. But is it indeed not the most important thing? Now, when we talk about loving other people, there are two kinds of other people that the church has to deal with. There are people that are believers and there are people that are not yet believers. I like to call them that, not yet believers instead of unbelievers. Two groups of people and I think we kind of love them in the same way as you'll see in a minute. First of all though, let's talk about other believers, loving others believers. In Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 we discover that our ability to grow spiritually relates to being properly connected with his people. We read in verse 15 where Paul said, speaking the truth in love, there's the word love, speaking the truth in love, let's grow in every way into him who's the head, Christ. So let's all grow to become more like Christ. From him, Jesus, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for the building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Now he's saying two things here. He says we speak the truth in love and we serve one another in love. That's what we do. That's, and that's part of growing spiritually. We come together here so that we can speak the truth to, in love to one another. You don't just speak the truth. It's, it's grace and truth. You speak the truth in love with one another and we begin to grow in terms of the truth of God's word. But in addition to that, it says use your gifts and abilities, whatever part of the body you are, in a spiritual sense, use it lovingly to serve other people. And that's what we're supposed to be doing with one another. But in addition, I think we're to love people that are not yet believers in Christ. And how do we do that? The same way. We speak the truth in love that's called share the gospel. And we serve them. We love them in that way. That's why Jesus said, let your light shine in such a way that people will see your good deeds. And then they'll glorify your heavenly father. And Jesus also said, by this will everyone know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. I think love is indeed the key. Now what am I asking you to do about this? Well, we wanna ask you to partner with us in what we're doing, to be an inviting church that leads people to, into a growing relationship with their creator and with others, both believers and those who are not yet believers. We want you to partner with us. This year though, we're doing something new. Uh, two things I wanna mention, first of all, People often ask, how do you become a member here? We're getting rid of the idea of membership and we're calling it partnership. More and more we wanna talk about partnership, not membership. You say, what's the difference? Partnership means active participation. Partnering with, membership is like a name on a roll somewhere, a roster. We don't want just names on rosters. We would like partnership, people that will partner with us. Second, 
And I want to warn you ahead of time that some of you won't like this, and part of the reason you won't like it is that you don't like change. Uh, some of you might need to be thinking about this just a little bit before you would come to like it, but we're doing something uh, different. It's one of our other churches is doing this, uh, and it's been highly effective. It's made a difference. We are uh, getting rid of the entire old membership list, and we're going to begin asking people to every year recommit to joining with us, partnering with us. Now, mostly it'll mean just signing and saying, I'm with you. But we want to start doing that every year. You say, why? Well, there are a number of reasons for this, but a big part of it is just knowing who's with us and, and who's not. Now, if you say, I don't want to sign that, I don't want to partner with you, that's fine. You can still attend and everything else. But we feel like this is important for three reasons that we know that you're with us. Three reasons. The first one, and these are all in the membership manual. One is that we believe the concept of partnership is biblical. Even though church membership or partnership is not mentioned in the Bible, certainly the concept of being involved with a local group of believers in a significant and connected way is a biblical idea. Second, experience shows that Partnership is valuable to the leaders of the church as we fulfill our duty to minister, to know where people are at and who's serving and in what capacities, all of this. It benefits us in terms of our ability to serve. For example, you, you want to know that the people that are watching your kids are partners with us, don't you? It just will help in that way. And third, we know that partnership benefits the individuals. It benefits you. Let me read what the membership manual says about this. In a culture where commitment is no longer highly valued, becoming a partner is an important step that moves each of us out of the vague clouds of our good intentions into the clear light of committed participation. It presents a challenge to step out of the stands and publicly affirm a commitment to Christ and a specific local body. In this sense, partnership can be a significant defining moment in one's lifelong discipleship journey. When I was doing the membership class, which we're not going to be doing, this is in place of that. When I was doing that, I'd illustrate this in this way. If you were moving to this town, but you didn't know if you were going to be here for any length of time, would you buy a house? Would any of you buy a house? Would you open a bank account? Would you join a, a, the gym for a year? There are a lot of things you would not do if you weren't sure if you were staying. You certainly, though, wouldn't buy a house. But the moment you decide, you know, I'm here, I'm here, it changes the dynamic. Suddenly you say, I want to be fully invested in this. So you buy the house and you get the bank account open and you join the club and you go to Rotary and everything else and suddenly you are an active part of this town and you feel part of it. And you're part of the good that's taking place and it benefits you, but otherwise it's kind of like the difference between dating and marriage. We're just asking you to join with us, partner with us. What does partnership involve? It involves these things. One, we, that you're a Christian. You put your faith in Christ. Two, that you have participated in the symbol of membership, which is baptism. We'll talk about that that week that we do the baptism. I'll talk about baptism. Third, affirming the Chestnut Ridge Church statement of faith, our values and vision. And fourth, committing to the marks of partnership, which are connecting, serving, giving, and inviting. Now, I'm not asking you to do anything this morning at all. 
in a week or two, probably a couple weeks, we're gonna make available our membership manual for everybody, anyone that wants it. And it'll be available online if you would prefer it that way. We're gonna ask you to look through that and then decide do you wanna partner with us. And we'll just ask you to turn in the form. And in some way or another, we'll contact you to say everything's fine or we'll have a conversation if that's what you want or whatever. No decision today, but we just wanna encourage you to do this. And then from then on, we'll just ask you, go ahead and just reaffirm that so we know who is really partnering with us and who's maybe not. Why don't we close our time in prayer. Father, thank you for the church that uh, you and Jesus, your son, the head of the church, have come up with. Thank you that you're building your church and thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for the good news of faith in Christ that makes a difference. That we can have a relationship with you through him because he died in our place and for our sins. And thank you that the only requirement is faith, trust, in Jesus, that it's not something we can earn because if we had to earn it, none of us would succeed. But we could receive it as a gift through faith in Jesus, and we're grateful for that. I just pray you work in our hearts, Lord. Give us the grace to partner well together in the days ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.